excited to be here with you today. Are you guys ready for the Word of God? Are you expecting that the Word of God will meet you where you are and bring you to new places? Well, if that's you, say this with us. Say, I have ears to hear. I have eyes to perceive. And I have a heart to receive and understand the living Word of God. Now, come on now. Praise God. Go ahead and shout of praise. All right. Today we are continuing in our latest series entitled The Tipping Point. And what we've been learning is about the mind and the pivotal role that it plays in creating balance in our lives as we experience transformation and relationship with God. Now, I, I, I pray that you, you believe this, but if you don't, I got good news for you. The transformation that God makes possible for our lives is one that leads us to good places. It leads us to abundance, is what Jesus said. He called it an abundant life. It, the Bible tells us that we are blessed in relationship with God, that it fills our life with peace, that it brings us stability as we stand upon the rock. It also tells us that we are more than conquerors, more than overcomers. It talks about a new life where the old life no longer has power in your life. So that's good news, right? But here's the thing, as we get started today, I'd like to ask you a question to consider. Can you see that life as yours? I want you to think about that. Can you see it as yours? Now, it's one thing to see it. Do you see it as attainable? Do you believe it's yours? Do you believe it's at work now? Is, has that life, has the word of God defined your vision to that extent? Now, those are important questions, and I'll tell you why. Because we all have to come to terms with this reality. That if you can't see it, you can't believe it. And if you can't see it, and you can't believe what the word of God reveals about the life you have with Christ now, then here's the, the sad reality then you won't achieve it. You won't live it. You won't experience it. And so today I'd like to talk to you on the topic of the eye gate. And see, your eyes are crucial to your life. Your eyes work in tandem with your mind and your heart. And your eyes are crucial because the importance of these eyes goes far beyond the mere act of what you physically see. Your eyes impact what you believe and how you think. And so I want to start off by just making this statement for us to meditate on. What you see determines if you'll see what God says. I'm going to say that again. What you see determines if you'll see what God says. Now, listen to Romans chapter 12 starting at verse 1. We're going to read verses 1 and 2. And I want you to consider this. It says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. You can't just stop there. For some people, that's where we stop. I'm giving all this up for God. I'm laying it all down for God. Well, if that's all you're doing, then that's just religion. There's something else that has to work here. Watch this. It says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed, watch this, by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. 
And so you see, these things work together, the mind and what we do, what comes as a result of what's happening in this mind, the change that's happening in this heart leads us to experience, to test and approve what what God's good will is, what his pleasing will is, what his perfect will is. And so I want you to see that your life, every life, holds great potential. You can experience the power of transformation. You can move on from a past. You can move on from negative habits. You can move on from faulty mindsets. You can move on from all those things. But to do so, something has to happen, not just in your mind, but with your vision for life, your eyes. And so according to these verses, what you do in service to God and the transformation you experience as your mind is renewed It begins with what we maintain in view. And so let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. Your view of God and your view through God changes everything. So these glasses are very helpful for me. And when I take them off, things change. Some of you can relate, right? Some of you, you're just like, sorry, can't can't relate, right? But these glasses change everything. They change how I perceive things. See, without these glasses at a certain distance, I can't quite see everything. I can't quite perceive and see all the minuscule details. But once I put them on, I can tell the color of that shirt. I can see some more intricate details. Are you starting to see what I'm talking about here? See, everyone has a set of lenses in life. For some of us, those lenses are riddled, they're full, they're defined by past experiences. For some, they're defined by the current events of this day. For some, they're defined by feelings, they're defined by by things that we've been taught and have, have been instilled in us. And yet, for some of us, what we see is defined by God, by his word. And so I want you to consider that in verse one, if we could just put that up in verse one, I want you to see that Paul talks about Uh, What happens in view of God's mercy? And that term in view refers to the means by which something is done. It also denotes the channel for an act. In other words, the path that is forged in order for this to take place. And so here's why that is crucial to the conversation we're having today. Because your eyes begin to open up the pathway that leads to your heart. And for some of us, we're so driven by what we see that we neglect the truth in God's word. We got to be careful with that. We got to be careful with that. For some of us, our, our sight is defined by what we've seen in church for many, many years. And what we've been told for many, many years. But the thing is, if your sight is not set on the truth of God's word, you have nothing to compare what you believe to. And therefore, you don't know if it's true. You're just rehearsing and regurgitating what you've been told. That makes sense? Right? Everybody say, I love Pastor Jose. Now, thank you. I feel better already. Because I know that was a tough pill to swallow. But I want us to think about this. For some of us, we need to change the channel. I mean, literally. You've been watching the same rerun for too long, and it's not leading you anywhere. 
Listen to the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 6, verses 22 through 24. I'm reading it from the Amplified Version because it really amplifies it. So it says, the eye is the lamp of the body. It's what illuminates the body, what illuminates the life. And so if your eye is clear, and watch what clear means here, spiritually perceptive, your whole body will be full of light, benefiting from God's precepts. But if your eye is bad, in other words, spiritually blind, your whole body will be full of darkness, devoid of God's precepts. So if the very light inside of you, your inner self, your heart, your heart, your conscience, is darkness, how great and terrible is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. You will either hate the one or love the other. Side note. What you, what you see determines who you serve. You got to listen to that. Where your vision is derived from will determine whom you'll serve. That was free. Anyway. That's just, just, just one of those Holy Spirit moments. No one can serve two masters. So you got to see this is connected directly to your vision. For either he will hate the one or love the other. He will either be devoted to the one or despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. That term mammon there does not just speak of money, but it speaks of possessions, it speaks of fame, it speaks of status, or whatever is valued more than the Lord. And so based on these words of Jesus, what we see is what we learn is that what we do with our eyes matters because it has the, out, the power to impact what you believe and who you will serve. If you're struggling in a personal relationship with God, it's very likely, no matter of fact, you can bet your bottom dollar on it, yes, that your eyes are set somewhere they don't belong. Yes, your vision is defined by something that does not contain the truth of God's word. And so the Bible gives us a great example, a tragic example of the dangers that lie in wait for us when we do not perceive life through the lens of God's truth. And it gives us a clear picture of how it leads to destruction. We're going to look in 2 Samuel chapter 11, starting at verse 1. We're looking at the life of a man named David who was king of Israel. Starting at verse 1 in 2 Samuel 11, it says, In the spring, at the time when kings go to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. And from the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Eliam was one of David's most trusted counselors. He was in the high council. This is, a, a, David knows of this woman, but he also realizes she's married, right? And so anyway, verse 4, then David sent messengers to get her, and she came to him, and he slept with her. Now she was purifying herself from her monthly uncleanness. In other words, her menstrual cycle had just passed, and there was a ritual that women had to undergo according to Jewish law. And so then she went back home. 
the woman conceived and sent word to David saying, I am pregnant. And so David sent this word to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent, to, sent him to David. When Uriah came to him, David asked him how Joab was, how the soldiers were, and how the war was going. And then David said to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. In other words, go home and relax. Get comfortable. And so Uriah left the palace and a gift from the king was sent after him. But Uriah slept at the entrance of the palace with all his master's servants and did not go down to his house. And David was told Uriah did not go home. And so he asked Uriah, haven't you just come from a military campaign? Why didn't you go home? And Uriah said to David, the ark and Israel and Judah are staying in tents. And my commander Joab and my Lord's men are camped in the open country. How could I go to my house and eat and drink and make love to my wife? As surely as you live, I will not do such a thing. Then David said to him, stay here one more day and tomorrow I'll send you back. And so Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. At David's invitation, he ate and drank with him and David made him drunk. But in the evening, Uriah went out to sleep on his mat amongst his servants amongst his master's servants. He did not go home. In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it with Uriah. In it, he wrote, put Uriah in the front where the fighting is fiercest. Then withdraw from him so he will be struck down and die. So while Joab had the city under siege, he put Uriah at a place where he knew the strongest defenders were. And when the men of the city came out and fought against Joab, some of the men in David's army fell. Moreover, Uriah the Hittite died. Every time I come across this story, or, I, or it comes into my, my recollection, uh, every time this moment from David's life comes to my recollection, the first thought that comes to my mind is, ay, que bochinche. <laughs> now for some of you who don't understand what that means, it just simply means, man, what a mess. Right? What a mess. Listen, this really was a bad situation that led to, a tra to the tragic and unnecessary death of a man. All because David could not help himself from pursuing what he, decide, what he desired. Now listen, before anyone starts casting stones at David, I'd like us to consider something. David was a man who genuinely loved the Lord. I'm not excusing his behavior. David was anointed by God, and David was used powerfully by God to change the course of history to such an extent that the lineage of Jesus was promised through David's line. Now, I'll tell you why I share that with you. Because, we're, because it tells us something. We are all capable of creating a mess. Even you, child of God. Even you, even me. See, maybe you, you haven't gotten to the extent that David did in this situation but we have all had the experience where our eyes have misled us into error. Every one of us, right? And so let's see what we can learn from David's error. David's misfortune had an origin, and it was based upon something so much more than just what happened with his eyes. It's easy to read this story and say, man, if David had just gone, here we'd be good. It's easy to say that, 
But the truth is that there was so much more happening before he even got to this point. And so the first thing that I want to leave you with here in the last couple of moments that we have is that an unrenewed mind is a result of being in the wrong place. I'm going to say that again. An unrenewed mind, when this mind does not align itself with the Word of God, when this mind does not align itself with a heart after God, when we begin to go astray from what we know to be true, right? When this mind is rejecting the truth and saying, no, I want to do what feels right instead of what is right. The unrenewed mind is the result of being in the wrong place. Let me show you what I mean by that. In 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 1, we read this before, but I want to point it out to you again. I want you to see it for yourself. It says, in the spring, at the time when kings go off to war. Where was David supposed to be? On the battlefield. With his men. It says, in the spring... At the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. Listen, David was operating in his calling. He was king. He was concerned with the advancement of God's people. He was warding off their enemies. He, he had the armies out there. He was still leading as king. But David wasn't where he was supposed to be. Instead of being with his armies on the battlefield as a king should, David was home. Let me just put it simply this way. David was out of place. And so instead of doing what kings are supposed to do in the springtime, David was home alone. And I'm going to tell you why that's an important point. Because this is what occurs when you are not where God calls you to be. You might be surrounded by all these people. It might feel great, but you are alone. It's not that God has left you, but it's just that you have detached yourself from where God wants you to be. And that is the most dangerous place to find yourself in. I've heard people say, yeah, but God still loves me. That's true, but God loves the whole world. Yeah. Everyone. Yeah. God is still faithful, but we're the ones who can be unfaithful. See, God will honor your choices, but guess what? You will reap your consequences. You chose them, and by the way, God had nothing to do with that. I was just in a conversation not too long ago. Somebody says, yeah, but God allowed it. No, 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 no. God honored your choice. You allowed that. Look at David's life. See, although his armies were winning against the Ammonite armies and they were besieging the enemies at Rabbah, David was himself besieged at home by the schemes of the enemy and he didn't even know it. See, David's first mistake wasn't when he looked upon Bathsheba, nor was it when he took her for himself. His first mistake was that he wasn't where he was intended to be. And when, you're, when you are where you belong with God, this is important. When you're where God wants you to be, 
You are in the place of readiness. That's where you're growing. That's where you're receiving. That's where you're hearing. That's where you're moving with the plan of God. In Matthew 25, Jesus gives us a great example about this. He, gives, he shares a parable of ten virgins. And the only reason why it mentions that these women were virgins is because it, it depicts purity. And these virgins are waiting for the groomsmen, the bridesmen. And so in, in Matthew 25, Jesus says that, there, he says something about these ten virgins. He says, five of them were wise and five of them were unwise. And there's a reason why he says that. All of them had their lamps, but only five of them kept them full with oil. And I'm giving you this as a backdrop so you can understand when we read these verses in Matthew 25, starting at verse 6. Oil in the scriptures is, it signifies power, the power of God. It signifies anointing. It signifies choosing. It signifies God separating you into something. And so with that understanding, what I want you to see is that these five wise virgins were ready. They were ready. Their lamps were full. And so listen to Matthew 25, verse 6. It says, at midnight, the cry rang out. Here's the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up. All of them were expecting him and trimmed their lamps. You know what that means? They adorned their lamps. That's all it means. It's verse 8. The foolish ones said to the wise, give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. No, they replied. There, are, there may not be enough for both of us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Listen, you know what's the difference between the wise and unwise? The wise know that we are to always be ready. You're walking in the anointing. You're walking in submission to God. You're seeking God in all your ways. You're leaning upon his understanding and not your own. You're putting your trust in God. And thus, you're ready because your lamp is full with oil. It's flowing. You're in position. The Bible says that the anointing, the oil, flows from the top of Aaron's head down to his beard, down to his robes. You know what the Bible's describing there in the Old Testament? It's describing how the power of God works. And you and I, believer, must be in the place of readiness always. You don't have to wait for Sunday to be ready. I've heard some people say, man, I can't, I can't wait to get to church on Sunday so I can fill up. What? What are you talking about? If the scripture says that the same one that raised Jesus from the dead res resides in you, if the greater one who is in you is greater than he that is in the world, then here's what you got to understand. You already have an anointing. You already have the power of God. You already have the presence of God. The promises of God are true in your life. But you must walk in this place of readiness. 
I'm starting to get excited. You'll have to pardon me today. Listen, when you get to, place, to a place of error as you walk with the Lord, it's because you stepped out of the place of preparation for your life. So I have to ask you a question for all of us to consider personally. Are you where you belong with God? Are you? And I'll tell you how you know if you're not. You find yourself going to other people to fill up. That's what we saw with the virgins. Now, this, this is going to sound hard coming from me, but you all said you love me. You already said that. But I'm going to tell you something from a pastor's perspective. One of the most challenging things is when you are teaching the word and you are pointing people to the truth and you are walking with people and surrounding them with other people and encouraging them and they still come to you and say, well, what do you think, pastor? What do you care what I think? What does God say? Ladies and gentlemen, listen, we're called to mature. We're called to grow in the things of God. And we cannot settle. We can't, we can't depend on turning to people. With, you know, if, if you just say this to me or you affirm with them, then I'll feel better about my relationship with God. Really? Well, anyway, I'm going to move right along. But you already said you love me, so... The second thing I want to share with you as we come to a close here is this. That an unrenewed mind places an emphasis on what is real instead of what is right. Listen, the second mistake, the second step that led to David's error was the confidence he placed in what he saw. I remember having a conversation. I was, you know, I'm... This was before COVID and all that, you know, this place is packed out and there's a bunch of young guys, there's a bunch of young guys hanging out and um, they, they, they're talking, you know, teenagers. And you know what teenage boys do when they're talking, right, together in church? They're talking about Jesus. No, they were talking about girls. They were talking about girls. Let's be honest, guys, we will watch them. They were talking about girls, and so as I'm walking by, one of them says, right, Pastor Jose? And I said, what? And the other guy goes, no, nah, we were talking, and he's talking about how, you know, he could look at all these girls and, you know, this, this, and that. And he says, right, Pastor Jose, God gave me eyes so that I can see. So I'm going to take advantage, and I'm going to look at all the pretty women around. And I said to him, let me tell you something. God gave you eyes, but what you do with them will determine where you go. And I'm going to tell you why I share that with you. I'll tell you why I share that with you. Listen, there is no denying that Bathsheba was beautiful. The Bible says so. But she went from being beautiful to being desirable in David's view when he took a second look at her in his heart. There's nothing wrong with a beautiful woman. Great, all right. But what you then do from that point forward now becomes a second look. It's the eyes of the heart that you are now looking with. And so, listen, I got good news for you. You ready to hear this? 
Your eyes are liars. <laughs> Listen closely. Listen to where I'm coming from. Our eyes draw attention to what shines. They pull at our attention. Uh, they pull us in the direction of what seems pleasing and good. But your eyes will always deceive you unless you train them to draw insight beyond what you see in the natural. Amen. So how do you do that, Pastor? I'm so glad you asked that. The book of Job, I believe it's chapter 31, Job says this, and we didn't put it up, it's just something that came to mind. Uh, Job says this, I have made a covenant with my eyes not to look upon a woman with lust. And listen to what Job did before to, to prevent going there. He says, I make a covenant. Now, covenant is important because covenant means this is directly between me and God. And it, 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 it's, it's, I take it that seriously. And, and Job says, I make a covenant with these eyes. In other words, I'm cutting a deal with these eyes that I will not allow my eyes to go there. Gentlemen, completely deviating from my notes, but I want to encourage you with something. Make that covenant. It'll save your marriage. It'll save you heartache. It'll save you destruction. Ladies, let me encourage you. Make that covenant. Don't go there. Don't allow your eyes to stray where then it opens the eyes of your understanding to something you were never meant to understand nor believe. So listen, if you live your life based upon what you see, then you'll only learn to respond and go after what your eyes show you. I'm going to say that again. If you live your life based upon what you see, then you'll only learn to respond and go after what your eyes show you. Listen to Psalm 32, verses 8 and 9. This tells us something about what God wants us to do with our eyes, how he wants us to see. He says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. So God's trying to take us somewhere. He's speaking, he's instructing, he's teaching. Whether you're listening or not is a different story. But that's what God's doing even right now. After you walk out of here, before you got here, that's what God's doing. He says, I will counsel you who are willing to learn with my eye upon you. Remember that phrase. Do not be like the horse or like the mule which have no understanding, whose trappings include bridle and rein to hold them in check. Otherwise, they will not come near to you. And so here's what we're seeing. God's saying, I'm trying to teach you. I'm trying to counsel you. I'm trying to lead you in the way that you should go. But he's also speaking about that because he's addressing stubbornness like the horse and the mule, who can only be led if you bridle it and you pull on it to lead it. Now, here's the key between what God is trying to teach you and where God is trying to take you. Listen to what he says. I'll read it to you again. He says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. You know what that's saying there? In the, in the Hebrew, your sight can only take you so far. Is that true? Yes, sir. Right? You can only see as far as the naked eye takes you, right? But here's the thing. 
God leads you by what he sees about you. That's what the scripture's talking about. And I'm, he's not talking about what you see wrong. The Bible says that God has predestined you unto good works. That before the foundations of the earth, he knew you. He says that you've been fearfully and you've been wonderfully made. So God looks at you and he goes, ah, what a beautiful masterpiece. And he's right to say that. But here's the key. That's what God sees. But if you don't see that, you can't follow where his eye is trying to point you towards. Does that make sense? You get that? And so if you're going to see what God sees, you have to train yourself to look continually to what he says. I'm going to say that again. If you're going to see what God sees about you, if you're going to come to the place that you believe who you are in Christ, then listen closely. The thing is, you have to train yourself to look continually to what he says. I'll give you an example of that in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. It says, but we all, how many is all? All, right? That, that means it, 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 it applies to all of us, right? Whether you're here or you're online, listen closely. But we all, with unveiled face, if you believe in Christ, this is you. He says, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. So look at what you and I are supposed to be doing. We're continually supposed to be looking to the Lord, to Jesus. And as we look to Jesus, he serves as what? A mirror. Now, you know, you know what a mirror does? Ladies, I know some of you know very well what a mirror does. Right? It reflects me. Right? That doesn't work with me. You know, I ain't got no hair here. But anyway, that was a lot funnier in my head. We'll move on. But listen, as we look to Jesus, we are beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. God is his best. Watch this. And because we're looking to him, if that's where you are, you are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory just as by the Spirit of the Lord. So listen to what the scriptures are saying. That as we set our vision upon Christ, and as you begin to look to Christ, what you begin to learn is who you are, the new creation that you are. It begins to reflect a new vision. And as you behold that vision and as you dig into that and as you explore that more and more and you look at it from different angles and you begin to rightly divide the word of truth in light of what Jesus has done. Don't spend your time. Don't waste the entirety of your experience and relationship with God looking at God through the lens of the Old Testament, ladies and gentlemen. You'll find him there. But what you'll see about the Old Testament is this, it's Jesus concealed. And the New Testament gives you Jesus revealed. It unpackages what you see there. So we have to rightly divide this word. We have to see Jesus. And as we do, it begins to transform what we see. And that sight, that vision begins to transform how we think. And that, those thoughts and that sight begin to seep into your heart. And it leads you to believe. And as a result, you transform. 
Man, that's good stuff. The last thing that I want to leave you with here is this. That an unrenewed mind is born out of an unrepentant heart. It's the place in your heart where you believe, no, 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 I don't need to do that, God. I'll just do this. I go to church, I'm good. I read my Bible, check. I do good things, awesome. But if this heart, your belief isn't turning around and going in the direction that God is leading you, it will lead you to error. David knew that what he was doing was wrong. He knew. But up until a certain point, he was unwilling to turn around, and it led to great results, to, to, to grave results, not great results. I'm sorry. And in the midst of this tragedy, David's story has a bright end. The scriptures declared that the prophet Nathan comes to David with a story. I don't have time to get into the story, but basically it was a, it was a parable that the prophet Nathan brought to David from, from, from God. It was a message from God. And in this parable, what David realized was that it was wrong for a man to take what was not his own. That, he, that it was wrong. And David gets angered, and then all of a sudden, Nathan says to David, that man is you, says God. And at that moment, David's eyes were opened. And he faced some consequences as a result of his choice. But ultimately, David turned back to God. Ladies and gentlemen, the transforming of power of God that leads to a renewed mind is possible when you are willing to turn away from that which is wrong and turn your vision for life to God who always leads you in the way that is right. Let's stand. I believe that God's word is full of purpose. That God has not given us the scriptures for no reason. They're full of life. Jesus said that his words are spirit and life. And that's powerful and that's important because it tells us something about what happened here today. Each and every one of us has had a personal encounter with life, with the Spirit of God. But here's the thing, how you respond is still your choice. And I pray that today your eyes have been enlightened and that you see the goodness of God. I pray, listen, if, if, you've, if you realize that your vision has deviated somehow, now's not the time to beat yourself up nor condemn yourself. The Bible says that there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. So God's not mad at you, but because he loves you, he's speaking to you right where you are. Why not turn to God? Why not look to the author and finisher of our faith? Why not look to greater heights? As you look to God, what you'll find is that you get elevated in life. Father, today we come to you in the precious and mighty name of Jesus. And in the hearing of your word, Lord, we thank you that your truth does indeed set us free. 
I thank you that today, oh God, there are chains that have been broken. I thank you, oh God, that where there has been a lack of understanding, there is now understanding. And I thank you most of all that today we see Jesus more clearly. That we understand your great love for us. And that we also understand that you've called us to transform. But not by our efforts. But Lord, by what we do is our minds are renewed and our vision is changed for life. And then we begin to experience and test and approve your good, pleasing, and perfect will. I thank you that you are strengthening us. Lord, you say in your word that your spirit, by your spirit, you quicken our mortal bodies. I thank you that there is a quickening, a strengthening, a, a, a forging in the lives of these, your people. It's very possible that there's someone here today, maybe you're joining us online, and today as you, you've heard this message, you realize that you have a need for God. That your vision has been the wrong vision, that you've been wearing the wrong set of lenses for life, and that God is inviting you to see something more. If that's where you are, then I want you to see this, that God loved you so much that he gave his one and only son to die a penalty of death for sin. Why? Because none of us could pay that price. None of us could meet the standard. And so God said, ah, I know what I'll do. I'll become like them. I'll die that death and pay that penalty for them so that they no longer carry the weight of it. But now they can be free and free indeed. If you believe that with us today, I want you to pray this with us as we close. Say this with us. Say, Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God. I believe you died and you rose again. I believe you paid the price of sin for me. Today I declare that you are my Lord and Savior. And I call you my God. And from this day forward, I'm trusting you. I'm following you. And I'm looking to you only. Come on now, if you prayed that in the name of Jesus, we're celebrating all the goodness of God at work in your life. Don't leave here without telling us. If you're online, let someone know the decision you made. Now, Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for Jesus and all you've done here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. We'll see you again next Sunday. Thank you for joining us today. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us here at Church of the Bridge today. I pray that you had a personal encounter with God, that he spoke to you powerfully, and that he met you at your place of need with this message. I also want to encourage you to go ahead and subscribe to our YouTube page. By doing so, you'll be able to check out past messages, uh, past events that we've done. You'll also be able to see what's happening now and those things that are to come. And lastly, I'd like to invite you to join with us in all that God is doing with your giving. Feel free to do so on our website. Again, thank you again for joining us, and I can't wait to connect with you next week.